we're wrapping up this series on how to bounce back from anything. And we, we've been looking at a series of words that all start with the prefix re. And so just wanted to quickly go back through those to just let you know where we've been in these last five weeks as we head into this last week. So we've examined the word, the prefix re means to go back. And so we looked at the word resurrection, which is where Jesus rose from the dead. But he went back and he dealt with our common fall. And so we're able to connect with the power source of life. Repentance is the word that most of us are familiar with. And it brings back all, or brings up all sorts of ideas and images in our mind. But the idea with repentance is going back and admitting the truth about ourselves. We don't really ever grow in life until we hit the bottom and we admit the truth about our life. If we're struggling through something, if we're uh, working through a problem, if we never really admit we have a problem, then we can't make progress. So repentance, that word has to do with going back and admitting the truth. And then we can make progress from there. Uh, after that, we looked at the idea of the rebirth out of John chapter 3 where Jesus encounters the guy who needs to be born again and he explains what that means. And we looked at the rebirth with that is the possibility for getting a new life. And the Holy Spirit comes inside the life of a Christian and is the one provides the power. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the word redeem. This is where we reflected on how Jesus redeemed us, which means he went back and he paid for our past. So redeem means we need some we, we needed someone to buy us back. And that's what Jesus did. And he didn't just buy us back so we could go on living our own lives for our own selfish pursuits, but he bought us back so that we could set aside the empty ways of our past and move in a different direction. Live life for him, not for ourselves. And then last week, we looked at the word reconcile, which means to go back and to bring together, to reconnect with or to put back broken things, namely relationships. We looked at how often it is we... Um, we have problems in life and relationships get damaged and how we're very quick to just let them go and, and we just build new relationships. Well, God would want us to learn how to reconcile if we can, if it's within our power. And so today we're wrapping things up by looking at probably the most surprising of all the, the words we've looked at tied to this idea. And it's the word rejoice. Rejoice is, is an unusual thing because... <clears throat> Well, look at, look at what it means. Rejoice means to look back with joy. Joy itself looks at its surroundings or looks at the future for the reason, for the joy. But to rejoice looks back at the past. You're looking back at what God has done or what has happened in your life as the reason itself. And at first glance, this word, it just seems out of place in a decline. You know, how do you rejoice in a decline? Life is falling apart. Rejoice, you know, I just got bad news on the phone. Rejoice, you know, how do I do that? I lost my job. Rejoice, I, you know, my kids are sick. Rejoice, how do I find the ability to rejoice in the midst of a decline? But the truth is, and what we find out in Scripture is, when we're going through difficulty, we're on the, the verge of the greatest opportunities of our life. We cannot grow on our own apart from downturns. We don't spontaneously just change. We can't change that much on our own. It's kind of like we've been illustrating this message with um, different things related to bouncy balls. And, and a ball can't just move on its own. It needs something or someone to get it moving. And so when God decides to grow us, he, he sometimes 
we experience a decline. Sometimes it's a rebound. But it's through movement that we grow. It's not through just staying still, doing nothing, that we grow. We need downturns. You know, we need sometimes pressure, stress. Those things actually help us grow. But just sitting there doesn't change us. And so God, He allows us to go through decline. Sometimes He even pushes us to places where we have got to trust Him. Where we have got to stop relying on our own self, but to begin to trust in Him. And, and God may be doing this right now. Maybe God is moving you, and you're somewhat uncertain about what's going on. This, this message really deals with that. How do I rejoice in the midst of difficulty? Every fall, every time we fall, there's this huge risk attached to it. Rather than re- re- rebounding, we, we fear that we might just splat on the floor, that we might not get back up after this decline. And so the key to turning a fall into growth is this word, rejoice. Learning how to rejoice in difficulty. It's not easy. And there are some different questions that we're going to look at this morning. And the, the main question is, how high will you bounce? After we decline and after we fall in life, how high can I bounce back? It's really determined based on something the Scripture lays out here, four different levels that set our ability to bounce back. And these all, um, you can't bypass these levels. The way that the Scripture lays it out, these are ideas that are connected to each other. So our response to these things really, really helps us progress in life. And these will set the limit on our life, how high we bounce. So let's look at these. These are found in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And... Paul's writing to a church, and he it's in a book that is filled with theology, just real... <clears throat> he, Paul, he lays out the Christian, uh, the Christian theology. What does it mean to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And how does that, um, how does that impact our relationship to God? What, what happens behind the scene? He lays this stuff out in the book of Romans. He looks at our sin, our need for Him. He looks at what Christ did. And in chapter 5... There's the assumption that, that people had decided to follow Christ because he's written this to the church. So, look at where it goes. Romans 5, 1 through 5. This is written to a church in Rome. He said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. So the levels we're talking about this morning are only possible for the person who's decided to follow Christ. If you're here and you haven't made that decision yet, this will help you understand what that means and then what life would likely look like for you. But if you've already decided that, then if you back up into... Into verse 1 of Romans 5, just kind of walk through these, this together. It starts, by, it starts by saying, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, this idea of being justified through faith, to be justified means to enter into evidence proof that you are innocent. And there's really two options. We can either focus on what we have done to, to make ourselves good, or we can focus on what Christ did because of what we did. So Christ died for us because of our life of sin. So we can try to do all this good stuff on our own and focus on that, which is really 
a bad idea. It's not a good plan. Or we could look at what Jesus did on our behalf, which is how we connect with God. We stop trying to justify ourselves and we, we find ourselves <clears throat> inviting Christ into our life and receiving forgiveness. We're justified. And the verse says that two things happen in our justification. First thing is, you have peace with God, it says. We, we are connected to the Father. We can, re, we can have a restored relationship with the Father. We're no longer just fighting in opposition against God's work and God's plans, which is, which is where we find ourselves apart from, from, from a relationship with Him. We're going our own way in opposition to Him. And, and we're, not on, we're not working well with Him. We're not on His, his team. We're actually... The Scripture says enemies. But in Christ, we have peace with God, which gives us access to Him, access to the Father. The second thing is that we gain access into the grace of God. That's what the verse says. You gain access into the grace of God. In fact, you and I, we're standing, we're living in that grace right now. Grace is God's unearned kindness, His favor, this gift that's given towards us. But it's kind of like God's power applied to your sin and to your problems. In fact, it's, illustration would be, it's like one of those huge nets underneath the high wire at a circus where you're thinking, man, if this guy slips, he's going to fall if it weren't for that net. That net, without the net of God's grace under our fall, you know, we would fear every time life goes downhill. But we actually, if you've experienced a relationship with Christ, you have God's grace now to catch you. We're standing in His grace. And then a verse goes on and says, so now we can rejoice, because of this, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Glory, that word means to be amazed or to turn heads. So imagine we were all at the beach and someone points out the sunset, just this beautiful sunset, spectrum of colors, and everyone's off doing their own things, and someone points, and then everybody, you know, hey, check that out. And everyone stops what they're doing and turns their heads to view that sunset, to take it in. That's kind of the idea. The word glory is to turn heads. And the idea is this. I can't wait to see how God will use this in my life to turn heads towards Him. When God works in our life, it, it ought to turn people's heads to praise Him. That's where Paul's going in this passage. But with, without God's grace under our feet, rejoicing over a fall would be just stupid, I think. There's no real reason to rejoice when we, when we decline in life. So the next few verses, what Paul does is he lays out these four different levels, again, which helps us understand how high we can bounce in life. And we can't bypass these levels. We can't just jump to the fourth level. So if you look at it, he, he'll do, he does the four things there. And the first one is this. The first level is suffering. It says, we, not only we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in our suffering. It's not easy to do, but here's the question. Will you accept suffering when it comes? Will you accept it as from the hand of God? Or will you resist it? Sometimes suffering comes, difficulty comes, and we just fight against it. We run away from it. We run around it. Will you accept it? Given a choice, I'm pretty sure we would all check the no suffering box. It's not on the connection card, but no suffering, check. Drop that in the offering. You might get that. This We'd all choose that. But the, but the reality is 
we can't run away from suffering. We, we face trouble as long as we're alive. Scripture says, as sure as sparks fly upward, a man is born unto trouble. Like, we're going to face difficulty in life. But the choices that we're given is, how are we going to respond to the suffering that comes my way? What am I going to do with it? Am I going to accept it? Am I going to reject it? Am I going to get angry? And so we're given these different choices, and there's really a spectrum when we are dealing with suffering and and pain and and difficulty. Over on this one side is despair and anger, where we're under it and we're kicking and screaming and we're angry and we're mad. We're getting mad at God. We're getting mad at other people. We're in despair. And that response over there usually leads to a series of, of falls. We just keep falling and falling, and there's no bounce. When we're trapped in despair and anger, we don't progress. Over in the middle of the spectrum is kind of a stoic acceptance where we just kind of wall ourselves off from people. We're going through trouble. We isolate ourselves. We don't let others in. And we, we even cut off our emotions. We don't feel much about what we're going through. We just soldier on through life. And with this, there's not again, there's not much of a balance. There's kind of a thud. We do not respond because we've closed ourselves we certainly don't grow because we've closed ourselves off from the work that god is trying to do in our lives when we just choose to withdraw over on this other side really this is how we bounce back is where we find the word rejoice where we begin to respond in a different way we no longer wall ourselves off we no longer get angry at others we look back at the past, we look back at the pain, and we find ourselves deciding in faith that one day God is going to use this circumstance for good. And I'm going to, even choosing gratitude ahead of time, God, you're growing me through this pain. You're, this isn't like a naive giddiness in the face of, of difficulty, but it's a, it's a real trust and faith in the living God who is working things out for our good. And when you're at that point where you're rejoicing, you're aware, you're rationally aware that God is now on the move in my life. He, he, is, he is moving me. I'm not just staying still. God has me moving for a reason because He's about to grow me. And the joy that Paul's talking about isn't just in the fact that I'm falling. Rejoice. The, the joy is in what God intends to do. You're joyful in what is to come through this. And it's not... It's not a natural response. In fact, it takes time. Rejoicing takes thought. Rejoicing takes faith. James said it this way, consider it pure joy, because it's not natural. James 1.2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's a choice because naturally we, we might get angry, we might withdraw. He's saying, choose joy. Consider this an opportunity, a season for joy when you're facing these trials. And this is a joy that comes through pondering. You actually have to step back and recognize what God is doing or what He may do through this. And you're here now. Not wishing you could go back, but you're, if you're in suffering, if you're in pain, if you're dealing with things, you're in it because God is doing something. Make the most of it. Don't wall Him off. Don't cut others out. In a little bit, I'm going to have uh, a couple from our church share a little about just how they're dealing with something. And I think it will be helpful but I also, I showed a few weeks ago how what happens when a ball hits a cushioned surface. You know, if I wrap this ball in a towel and throw it down, it's not going to bounce. It doesn't bounce back. 
And if you are committed to remove all pain from your life or from the life of someone else, and you're cushioning, you're trying to remove all pain, then you will not grow. You cannot grow. God, it's because God works through suffering and pain. He wants to use it for our good. That's why James is saying, consider it pure joy. This is a, this can be a good thing. Level two, so that's the first level, is suffering. How will I accept suffering? Will I accept it as from the hand of God? The second level that Paul gets to here, here is, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. This is the second level, is perseverance. Perseverance, the real question is, will you endure? Will you endure it? The word itself, the Greek word literally means to stay under or to remain under. And the idea with perseverance is pressure. Will I stay under the pressure that comes during seasons of suffering? Will I remain under it? Or will I try to run away from it? Run around it? Escape it? Drop it? Bail on it. Whatever. We cannot avoid suffering. We can't do it. But we can make cowardly choices that, that keep us from making any real commitments that add any pressure into our lives. We can, try to, we can cut off the likelihood or the duration of pressure by just choosing to, 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 to run around it or to escape anything that would resemble pressure. We do this typically at the point of commitment. If you want to reduce the likelihood of suffering in your life, then make as few commitments as possible. If you don't want pain and suffering and to learn perseverance, don't commit to anything. Don't commit. The Greek word, it literally, for perseverance, has to do with pressure. Pressure. Pressure can only be created in confined spaces. Air pressure increases in a tire. You know, and the same is true in our life. God uses this. Pressure is a function of the commitments that you and I make. Our job, that adds some pressure. Marriage, pressure. Kids, pressure. Church, mortgage. You know, schooling. There's all this stuff that adds pressure to our life. You make a commitment to those things. Now what you've done is you've just added walls to your life. You've boxed yourself in, but... Most of the time we think, oh, I need to break out of the wall. I need to bust. I'm going to kick down this wall and I'm going to get out from under the pressure. But God is actually, He's allowed you to live in this, in these walls that you've chosen to grow you. There's, and many times there's no other way to learn the lessons than through the commitments we have decided to make. So, Paul, he's saying, this is, a, this is another level. Going through suffering and then enduring the suffering walking through the suffering for a season until the Lord releases you from it. You commit to a relationship, now you've just added a possible source of suffering. You decide to have kids, they get sick. Again, that, that's going to be agonizing for you. It's not going to be easy. So what many do is they just make it their life to not commit to anything. And because of that, we grow very little. And that's no way to live. To stay in the same place our whole life. Other people, they bail on pressure whenever it comes up. And again, there's no growth. The growth comes through endurance. When we don't allow suffering to run its course, we miss what God intends to do in our life. God has brought things up in our lives that sometimes we 
get to over a period of time, and we want the pressure to go away tomorrow. God, take it away tomorrow. I've been praying. I've been praying for a week. It's not gone. I've been praying for a month. It's not gone. And God may be trying to teach us something that takes years, decades. It's a perspective that we can't just get when we live in the moment, though. When we live in the moment, in our circumstances, we're trapped. We have tunnel vision. All we can see is the next step, and we're angry, and we want to, we want to kick the wall down again. But God wants us to take a few steps back and ponder what He may be doing in the midst of this season of suffering. And if God will use your suffering to grow you, what happens is people will turn their heads God's way and say, wow, look at what is happening in this person's life. I cannot believe at how this person is living out their faith. It turns people's heads toward Him. That's the glory that people are getting a sense of the glory of God as they see our lives and the way we endure suffering. The third level, so there's, there's suffering, then there's this level of perseverance. Now the third level is character. And that's where the passage goes. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, describe, and the question here is, will you really change? The question, you know, that's, that's the key question. Am I going to say I believe in these things? Am I going to say I walk with God and I trust Him? Or am, am I really going to do that? Is this going to describe, is this new faith going to describe who I really am? Or is it just a fad? Character describes the patterns of what you do. Shaped by your experiences, not your intentions. The, the Greek word for, for proving character simply means proof. The proof. The term was used of testing precious metals for quality, like silver and gold, to demonstrate their quality and their purity. And so whenever we suffer and we endure, we prove our character. We're proving who we really are. It ain't easy. It's not easy. The pressure comes, again, we want to just bail on it. But that pressure and remaining under it over a season, it proves real character. And you don't change character overnight. You change it, though, through experiences. Suffering creates the opportunities to test our stated beliefs. We say we believe in things, and then we, we get put in those walls where we have to live within that. Now we have a choice. Are we going to live this out? Are we going to remain under the pressure? What's going to be produced through this? When we read the Bible or we listen to messages like this, we tend to think that these ideas in here are hypothesis. You know, there's some good hypothesis like the scientific method. You know, there's hypothesis about decisions or clearing up relationships or hypothesis about handling finances. But these hypotheses do not grow into faith until we experience them in real life, usually under pressure. Over time, those ideas move to theory and then to laws as we prove faithful to, to live them out over time. Real character. Learning and rejoicing over the past is also a big part of proving character and growing character. There's a quote here. It's a long quote, so bear with it. And it's a, and it's a hard-to-understand quote because it was written... You know, a while ago, 19th century British preacher. And so, uh, Charles Spurgeon, this is, there's actually a handful of slides. So I'm going to read through this. But this is a journal entry from a preacher who dealt with a lot about, he dealt with a lot of depression. He needed a lot of encouragement. But he had an interesting perspective on our memories because memories often, they just rob us of joy. They, they keep us from rejoicing. The memories of the past, the hurts of the past. So I'm going to try to, walk through this, give a little bit of comments on some of these things to clarify some of the wording. Memory is frequently the bond slave of despondency. That word means 
depression. So memories come along and they can capture, they can take us captive and really depress us. That's how he starts. And then he says, despairing minds call to remembrance every dark foreboding. That's a prediction. Every dark foreboding in the past and they dilate, that word, you know, make, make larger, upon every gloomy feature in the present. Thus memory clothed in sackcloth presents to the mind a cup of mingled gall and wormwood. Those are very bitter things. There is, however, no necessity for this. Now stop there. He's saying memories have this, have this way of just depressing us, making us bitter, heart sick, and they just, they capture us. He's, and then he says, this is, it doesn't have to be this way. There is, however, no necessity for this. Wisdom, the person who, who knows how to live life God's way, can readily transform memory into an angel of comfort. That same recollection, which in its left hand brings so many gloomy omens, may be trained to bear in its right hand a wealth of hopeful signs. She need not wear a crown of iron. She may encircle her brow with a fillet of gold, all spangled with stars. So he's saying, this this memory that can chain them down could now be something like a display of gold in their life. All spangled with stars. Thus it was in Jeremiah's experience. Now he's referring to a prophet, the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this, in the previous verse, memory had brought to him deep humiliation of soul. And he quotes from, Jer- uh, from Lamentations chapter 3, My soul hath, hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Now that is somewhat confusing, but he's, Jeremiah is reflecting upon a season of sorrow. He's saying, you know, my, my heart is downcast, my soul is troubled. But then Spurgeon says, and now this same memory restored him, restored him to life and comfort. Jeremiah continues, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The verse goes on, he just declares God's faithfulness. So he's saying, my memory, at first, you know, my heart turned down, but then he said, but then I brought these things to mind and I had hope. And he says, he's trusting in the Lord's faithfulness, his goodness. So just to wrap up this quote, it says, Like a two-edged sword, his memory first killed his pride, like took away his joy with one edge, and then slew his despair with the other. As a general principle, if we would exercise our memories more wisely, we might, in our very darkest distress, strike a match which would instantaneously kindle the lamp of comfort. There is no need for God to create a new thing upon the earth in order to restore believers to joy if they would prayerfully rake the ashes of the past. Like, hey, look at what God has done in the past. They would find light for the present. And if they would turn to the book of truth and the throne of grace, their candle would soon shine as aforetime. Be it ours to remember the loving kindness of the Lord and to rehearse His deeds of grace. Let us open the volume of recollection which is so richly illuminated with memorials of mercy and we shall soon be happy. Thus memory may be the bosom spring of joy and when the divine comforter bends it to His service, it may be chief among earthly comforters. God can use all of our memories and bend them to where it brings us just a tremendous amount of comfort to know that God is faithful and that He's there in our life. He is present. He's not asleep. He's not walking away. But God can use... We've seen Him work in the past. So when we're facing the suffering, we know God is faithful. He'll help us endure, growing the character. The fourth level is this. It's hope. It says, in character, hope. And the question here, will you live for eternity or heaven? Heaven or earth, excuse me. Heaven or earth. Hope is the thing that you place out in front of you that guides your decisions. 
It's what you lock on to. The problem is we tend to put our hope in things that are here. That's what is called false hope. So Romans says this, Romans 5.5, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. You see, putting our hope in God in eternal things is not going to disappoint you. But anytime you put your hope in anything in this world, money, pleasure, the economy, which is so predictable, we're just so disappointed. But God, you know, this earth and the things that this world values, it's really thin ice. And so one of the reasons God allows the economy to go up and down He wants to dislodge us. He just wants to dislodge us from the fatal belief that anything here is really that stable. So just when we start locking on anything here, He kicks it out from under us. It's because He's wanting us to put our hope in things that are eternal and not in things that are temporal. Anytime we wrap our our lives around things here, now we're, we're just disappointed. So what Paul is saying is, don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in the Lord. We should anchor our hope in Him. Because He doesn't disappoint. He gives us a little taste of His hope when He puts His Holy Spirit in us. And then sometimes we begin to depend on ourselves and we're disappointed and He allows another series of falls in our life until we keep dealing with suffering in the right way, enduring, allowing character to be developed and putting our hope back in Him. He continues that process. It tends to be repeated in our lives over and over. And, you know, we can't just grow without these falls. We grow through the falls repeatedly. Practically, this, is, this stuff just has to be worked out in our lives. Um, Wes and Michelle Brown are going to come up here for a moment, just asking them a, a few questions like you guys to hear from them. So I want you all to hear a recent way that, that this gets lived out. <clears throat> this is Wes and Michelle Brown. And <laughs> Wes... Um, Certainly the first time he's ever held a mic up here. He's normally setting up mics. He, he leads our sight and sound team. And for, um, so Wes is, deals with a lot of um, fears. And so he recently um, found out some just medical news that he shared with me. And we spent some time praying last week. He and Bruce, or me and Bruce and Michelle and Wes. And just I was encouraged by what they're, what they're dealing with, how they're dealing with how they're dealing with, how they are responding to what they're dealing with. So, a couple of questions. First, what's going on that caused you alarm? And then, what did the doctors tell you? Just also, wanted you guys to know, so you guys could be praying. So, um, about a week ago, uh, I was coughing up blood at work. It's kind of gross, but um, so Michelle and I went Saturday to the doctors, and they did a few tests on me. They didn't eat. Or, um, X-ray, there was no infection. TB test was good. So they did a CT scan, which showed an aneurysm in the aorta. So that was new to us and her. <laughs> so that was the latest thing, and the doctor has me scheduled for a vascular surgeon just to speak with. So, and I, maybe you could just describe a little bit about what that, why is that a problem? And I have, I have what's... Um, a heart defect that's called uh, truncus arteriosus number one. If you want to know about it, I'll explain it to you later. Uh, so I've had a lot of medical issues in the past. I've been sick several times, but I wasn't sick this time. 
So it was all very confusing to us and what was going on. We didn't know. So mm-hmm. the doctor's doing extra stuff. <laughs> and then how did you respond to the, you know, the news? And what, what, what have you been feeling, thinking? At first I was very scared. And I was wondering how Michelle was going to take it. But as I went through the tests, especially the CT scan, I was laying there and I just spoke to God and said, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And I need your presence. Just be here with me as I'm going through because I'm going through the roof. (laughs) So after the test was done, I just started feeling his presence. And even Michelle, he used her like crazy. (laughs) So that was during the CT scan. (laughs) And how is it different? Like how, how do you feel like you're responding different from this than in the past? I've never dealt with any fears in the past. I've never dealt with the condition I have. So I've become more open about my feelings about it and any fears I have and expressing that God is in control. And I'm not in control. He's in control. He gave me this heart, and it's still going, and I'll keep it until he decides to take it. So that's where I'm at. That perspective, when I I was listening, I, you know, just asking, how are you guys doing? And, they were sharing with us, and I was just like, you know, you guys really, just, just a, it is a good perspective to have, you know, in the midst of this. And um, as we prayed together, just it was a really more of a prayer of coming alongside them, praying for healing. Um, but the perspective that they had was right, and I, I just thought, you know, this is unusual when people go through difficulty, because typically. And I think what's, what Wes is saying is like he would identify with that stoic acceptance where he would just sound like withdraw, wall yourself up, and just when you're going through it, not let anybody in. And just the fact that you were open, you called some people, you said, hey, you know, and just that, that's very different. It's different for a guy, for one, but then in general, just it's different. And so um, we're encouraged by that. But how, and then is there a verse? I asked him to share a verse that God has been using to encourage him. The one that stuck out to me was Psalms 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that's pretty much what he did. Great. I'm going to pray for, for them. Cody, would you go ahead and come up as well? So, Father, we thank you for Wes. Thank you for Michelle. God, thank you for the work that you're doing, God, in them, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're using this difficulty to to draw them closer to yourself for your glory father thank you that their responses is already has already turned some heads towards you lord that people are you know just have been encouraged and amazed at their response lord doesn't mean that it's not difficult doesn't mean that it's not gonna, that it's going to be easy but lord just to know that here's a couple that is um, willing to accept this as something that has that you've, you're allowing them to endure for a season. God, may, may it be a short season. Lord, we ask you for healing. We pray as a, as a congregation that you would heal Wes of all heart problems. Lord, that you would just, um, that the doctors would look again and just see, wow, something miraculous has happened. Lord, we pray in the name of Lord Jesus Christ for healing for our brother. We just ask also that you would um, pull them together as a married couple. Lord, help them to just cling to each other as you've intended lord not just through this time but lord all all of their lives 
but that this season would be a, a point in time where they just see remarkable growth, remarkable character formation, and, and also just um, that you'd open up the door for them to share where this hope is from, Lord, and that you'd draw others to yourself, Lord, through them. We love you, God. We thank you for a chance to bear each other's burdens, to care for each other, Lord, and to um, just help hold each other up in seasons when we're struggling, Lord. We love you, God, and we thank you for the hope that you give us that this life is not all there is, Lord. We have so much more to look forward to. We thank you for Wes, Michelle, the investment that they're making here with us. We pray you continue to work in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for sharing. In just a moment, our ushers are going to come up here and receive the offering. And if you take out that white connection card, we're going to just quickly, on the back of the connection card, it says, my next step today is to, for the first time to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. If that's you and you're just not sure what that's all about, check this box and we'll, we'll send you something in the mail, communicate with you if you're comfortable with that, and just kind of talk with you about how, how to process that kind of decision, what that means. The second thing is thank God for the decline. Just recognizing God works through suffering. He wants to grow us through endurance. So maybe that's a step. I need, okay, I've been walling people off or I've been choosing to get angry. Maybe the choice is I need to thank God that He's, he's on the move in my life right now. Thank you, God. You're doing something. The last one is make or renew a commitment. Like I said, endurance is all about staying under pressure, remaining under pressure. And maybe you need to, maybe you've been trying to escape the pressure, kicking a wall down to run away. And now just, maybe the step is, I need to just recognize these walls are here for a reason. I, I need to renew a commitment to my marriage, to my parenting, to my job, whatever that might be. Or maybe to make some commitments. Maybe it's to our church. Maybe it's a spiritual commitment. Whatever it is, you know, let God speak to you and guide you in that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word.